on. I'd like to thank all of you uh, for the wonderful gifts that you brought along for the women's shelter. I know that a lot of women and children are going to be blessed by your generosity. So thank you very much. It's a pleasure for us to take them over and deliver them to the group there who uh, uses those to serve the truly needy. Some of the people that are going through some of the roughest times in their life, that's when they're going to receive those things. So thank you once again. Well, we've come to the main message now. So let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open our Bibles now, what a pleasure it is to be able to read your word. And we know that we can't understand these things were it not for the Holy Spirit that you sent. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you open our minds and our hearts to what we're going to read today and make it a part of us. Help us to really appreciate the season that we're in and the meaning that it has for the whole world. Thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 1, if you will. Now, next week is going to be our Christmas service. It's going to be a little special. We're going to have several readings by members of the congregation to tell the story of Jesus' birth. And don't forget, uh, also, by the way, we're going to have a special meal next week, too, a roast beef dinner from our friends at a la carte catering. Margon's group is going to put that on for us. So uh, we hope you'll make it a point to be here. But... Uh, Before we read next week the story of Jesus' birth, there's another part to the story that is very important. And here in Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 11, because at that time, an angel of the Lord is going to visit Mary, as we just saw in the video, with a special message for her and who she's going to give birth to. But you know what? Before that, the angel visited somebody else. And we're going to read about that now. Uh, The man's name is Zechariah. He was a priest in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the angel had something to say to him. Luke 1, verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. He and his wife had prayed for a child. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on Uh, He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So before Mary was ever visited, the angel visited Zechariah and had a message for him that his wife Elizabeth would give birth to a son who turned out to be Jesus' cousin of all things, born six months earlier than Jesus. And this man, this young child, as he grew into manhood, would be given a special mission by God. He was to prepare the way for the Lord. Jesus, as he started his ministry, uh, was going to find it a little bit easier because John the Baptist was going to go before him and prepare the people of Israel for Jesus' arrival. Now, John the Baptist was prophesied a couple places in the Old Testament, 
I'd like to turn there real quickly. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. This is something that was prophesied centuries earlier than uh, John the Baptist came on the scene. And notice what the prophet Isaiah said. Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." So this prophecy was actually about a man who was called to prepare the way, to prepare the people, to get them ready for the arrival of the Messiah. And that's exactly what John the Baptist did. Now one other prophecy we'll look at very quickly. Let's turn to the the last book of the Old Testament. The prophet Malachi. Just before the uh, book of Matthew, we find the prophecy of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and again, this applies directly to John the Baptist and what he was called to do. Malachi 3, 1, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So don't forget, there was a prophecy of a coming Messiah that the the Jews waited centuries for. So he mentions here that when the Messiah arrives, as Jesus was born in Bethlehem, someone would go before him and prepare the people. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Some of the last words that are said in the Old Testament. Some final words to encourage the Israelites. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, in this prophecy, God wasn't saying that he was going to somehow resurrect the prophet Elijah, who had already died and gone to his grave. But he was going to send someone to Israel before the coming of the Messiah who would kind of be in the office of Elijah and fulfill the same purpose that Elijah filled during his ministry and his uh, role as prophet. So it was John the Baptist, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Six months before Jesus was born, John the Baptist was born. And he set about his job of preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah. So why did they need to be prepared? Well, there was a lot of sin in the land of Israel. Don't forget over their history, uh, Israel and Judah, the the two nations, and now coming down to Jesus' day, it was basically Judah that remained. These countries had gone in and out of captivity over centuries because of their sinfulness their worship of pagan gods, and so on, their disobedience to God. So there was still a lot of preparation to be done for the arrival of the Messiah. Someone had to go out and start preaching repentance of their sins. And yes, John also preached baptism. 
Baptism at that time kind of meant a washing away of your sins, symbolically or ceremonially. So John went out as pretty much the final prophet, if you will, of the Old Testament. He was given a mission by God, and he did his job with all of his heart. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 3. We read how uh, John the Baptist began to fulfill the mission that he received as he got old enough. It says in Matthew 3, beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. In other words, he fulfilled the prophecy that we just read, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. It says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. Now, he dressed in a very similar way to the prophet uh, that we just read about, Elijah in the Old Testament. I guess his dress kind of stood out as being unique, maybe, compared to what was worn in that day, the day of Jesus. But maybe he came to understand, as God told him, what his role was to be, what his mission was to be, to kind of walk in the shoes of Elijah the prophet and warn the people. So I think he really took the job to heart, and he even dressed maybe in the way that Elijah would have dressed. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So the Jordan River was his place to to do the things that he was doing. And you see that God was drawing people to him. God was, through John the Baptist, preparing the way for the arrival of Jesus. He was softening up people's hearts, in other words having them take a look at themselves and perhaps starting to see the need for somebody in your life that is going to help, a redeemer, a savior, if you will. Verse 7, showing how seriously he took his job. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, and they were known to kind of be hypocrites, spiritual hypocrites. You know, they taught everybody the law, but they didn't live by it themselves. So when he saw these Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him to be baptized, he said to them, You you brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So it's not just a matter of saying to God you're sorry, but show your sorrow for your sins now by the way you live. Let's start to see the changes in your life. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Notice verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, referring to Jesus whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John the Baptist had an understanding of what his role was to be. I'm sure from youth, Zechariah and Elizabeth taught him what the angel had said and what his destiny was to be, and he took it very seriously. And uh, he pushed people's buttons You know, when he saw sin, he spoke out against sin, kind of like the Old Testament prophets would do. So John was teaching the same sort of message that actually really applies to us. Repent of your sins and be baptized. Now, isn't that the message that was preached starting on the day of Pentecost? Remember, uh, Peter got up and gave that sermon a powerful message in, in Acts chapter 2, a powerful message about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and, and what it meant. And the people there in Jerusalem, we know 3,000 were baptized that day. They were so moved by Peter's sermon. It says in uh, Acts 2 verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, What? Repent and be baptized. The same message of John the Baptist. But now this message had added power because this was the day on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was first given out. So the same message for us, but a more powerful, a more personal message. Because we know... John the Baptist didn't have the ability to give anybody the Holy Spirit because it had not come yet. It wasn't going to come until Pentecost. So we hear the gospel message about Jesus and we're told to repent and believe and be baptized. But at that point now, we know that we receive the Holy Spirit, which goes far beyond what John the Baptist was ever able to provide for people. So, John the Baptist baptized people to repentance. Later on, on the day of Pentecost, we know that when we're baptized, it's to something else. It's not merely repentance, but it is the beginning of a new life. It is receiving the Holy Spirit. It is having God come to dwell in us personally and to begin to change our lives from the inside out. A superior baptism. You know, in the book of Acts, there are incidents where the apostles come upon people and they're preaching the gospel and they ask the people, well, have you ever been baptized? And they say, well, we were baptized to the baptism of John. And the apostles go ahead and baptize them again, because now, after the day of Pentecost, they're offering, if you will, a superior baptism And they baptized those people all over again, now to receive the Holy Spirit. So, see, John the Baptist was a forerunner. He was preparing the people. He was softening them up a little bit. He was getting them to think about God, to think about their personal sins, and the need for someone to come, the Messiah, that was going to rescue them, who would be able to judge them fairly and uh, uh, to, to, to pronounce a good judgment on them because they're starting to see their sins and they want to change and they're bringing forth fruits worthy of repentance as he told the Pharisees. So John was just the forerunner. He was just the one to go before and to kind of to, to, to blaze a path 
and to help the people get ready for the true coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And like I said, he took his job very seriously. In fact, it got to the point that at one time he was chewing out the ruler of the land, a member of the family of Herod, And I guess you could say that he deserved to be chewed out because he married his brother's wife. (laughs) And John the Baptist saw this, and he was very outspoken against Herod at that time. And because of that, John the Baptist was thrown into jail and was ultimately martyred. He had his head cut off. So he took his job very seriously. He was a righteous man and a man who, with all of his heart, And with all of his strength, tried to do what God asked him to do. So again, another example for us. John the Baptist was truly uh, one who walked in the shoes of Elijah the prophet. When you read the story about Elijah the prophet, Elijah prepared the way for someone else. If you remember your Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 2. Let me tell you a little bit about this story. Elijah was a great prophet. His life was very troubled because the kings, the queens, whatever the case may be, were out to get him because he was an outspoken prophet of God. He told the people their sins, sometimes right to their face, and it got him into a lot of trouble with the rulers of the day. So Elijah was the type of prophet who kind of ran for his life in many ways kind of like John the Baptist, because he was so outspoken, pointing out people's sins to them. But another of Elijah's tasks in his life was to prepare for who would come to replace him. And that was the prophet Elisha. You got Elijah and Elisha, okay? And there's a a fascinating story in 2 Kings chapter 2. I was just going to refer to it, but... Let's go ahead and turn back there quickly. 2 Kings chapter 2. We see the transfer of power as God's prophet from Elijah to Elisha. And if all the places for this to happen, it happened at the Jordan River. Don't forget where John the Baptist did all of his baptizing. So just as John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus to come... And then there came a time where John the Baptist kind of got out of the way and put the spotlight on Jesus. The reason he's compared to Elijah is because Elijah prepared the way for a greater prophet, Elisha. And there was kind of a transfer of power between the two, just as there was between John the Baptist and Jesus. A passing of the baton, if you will. It says in 2 Kings 2, beginning in verse 1, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And what happens here is, uh, God takes Elijah up, in a whirlwind, because his job is done. And Elisha steps forward now, and he's going to take over for Elijah in a much more powerful way. And Elijah says to him, what, would, what can I give you? 
what, what do you need? What can I give you? And of all the things he could ask for, he says, the Holy Spirit that you have, I would like a double portion of that. So again, a comparison from John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, who was much greater. He was the Son of God. Elijah got out of the way and let Elisha move forward from that point on. And that's why John the Baptist is compared to Elijah. Because just as Elijah got out of the way and let Elisha take over a much more powerful and effective ministry, John the Baptist, once he finishes his job, gets out of the way and lets Jesus take over. He said, he must increase while I decrease. So that's, I think, why John the Baptist was prophesied to kind of come as Elijah. He wasn't Elijah risen from the dead. Elijah had long ago gone to his grave. But he kind of came up in the office of Elijah, doing the same job that Elijah did in preparing the way for Jesus Christ. So you can read through that story uh, later on. But I want to turn now to John chapter 1. Because there were two other things that John the Baptist was given to do. Not only to prepare the people for the arrival of the Messiah, teaching them to repent of their sins and be baptized, but a second thing that he was to do was to announce Jesus' arrival. To announce Jesus' arrival. And we read about that here in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. It's the time of Jesus' baptism. John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. So here he was at the Jordan River baptizing people. And he looks and he sees Jesus. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John the Baptist is the one to, to formally announce to the public who this man is. He's inspired by God to announce his arrival. And Jesus came to John to be baptized, of all things. He says in verse 30, This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Talking about Jesus' pre-existence. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So that was the second task of John the Baptist, and he accomplished that as well. It says, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as he was baptizing Jesus as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known Jesus except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. So not only did John the Baptist prepare the people, as he was told to do, he also announced the arrival of Jesus Christ, and he also baptized Jesus. Now, people often wonder, why in the world did Jesus need to be baptized? Jesus didn't have anything to repent of because he had never, never sinned. But nevertheless, he was told to baptize the Messiah when he arrives. If I can explain to you Jesus' reasons for being baptized. It was actually a demonstration of what he was about to do. Don't forget, when we baptize people, we baptize by immersion. Now, you can baptize in other ways, but this is a part of our culture. 
We have a big trough of water or we go to the YMCA and go in the pool. Enough water for a person to be completely put under water. So when we baptize, you know, we told, tell the person to hold their nose, hold their breath, and just briefly we put them completely under water and bring them back up. Now that ceremony of baptism symbolizes death and burial. And when they come back up out of the water, that symbolizes resurrection. So for Jesus Christ himself to be baptized, of course, he had no sins to repent of. But he went through the ceremony as well to demonstrate to the people what he was about to accomplish. He was going to die and be buried, but then he was going to be resurrected from the dead back to life to live a new life. Okay, And in fact, that's really why we baptize people the same way today, just as John the Baptist did. Now, you know, you can sprinkle somebody with water if you need to. I mean, if they're in a nursing home and you can't get them anywhere where, where they can be submerged in water, or if they're handicapped somehow, or whatever the case may be, that's okay. God can handle that. But the full meaning of ceremonial baptism, as we're told to do, is to show you, when I put you under water, okay, put you under water and then bring you back up, I'm showing you not only what Jesus did for you, how he died, was buried, and rose from the dead, but you, following in his footsteps, also die of your old sinful life. And that old person that you are is going to die and be buried, and then you're resurrected to a new life. A Holy Spirit-led life, you see? It's not the fact that you're baptized that saves you. It was Jesus who saved you. And we're demonstrating to you by your baptism how he saved you. He died in your place to pay the penalty for your sins, your death penalty. And then he rose again from the dead, glorified, to show you what's going to happen to you ultimately because of what he did for you. So it's not the act of baptism that saves you, but we're told to be baptized so we can rehearse in our minds once again what this is all about. First of all, Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead, your death and resurrection from the dead, that leads you to eternal life through Jesus Christ. And when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, it was also the official start of his ministry. From that point on, he began teaching and preaching. Now, one final passage I want to look at in Matthew 11. John the Baptist's ministry was successful. It was highly successful. He did exactly what he was called to do. And Jesus comments on it here. Matthew 11, beginning in verse 2. Now, John, at this point, is in prison because he was speaking out to leaders of the country concerning their sins. And, of course, the leaders of the country didn't want to hear that, so they ended up throwing him in jail before he was ultimately put to death. So it says in Matthew 11, verse 2, When John heard in prison what Jesus was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, why was John the Baptist uncertain about Jesus at this point? Well, because John the Baptist anticipated a Messiah that would come to judge and condemn sinners. And Jesus wasn't doing that. Don't forget, sinners were brought to him, and he said, 
I'm not your judge. So Jesus didn't come the first time to judge the world. Now when he returns, he will come to judge the world. The first time he came to die for the world. So John was a little confused. He's thinking, well, wait a minute. Why isn't this Messiah doing what I expected him to do? (laughs) To come down hard on sinners and judge them and condemn them. So John the Baptist sends his uh, followers to Jesus and said, Are you the one that we were waiting for? Or should we expect somebody else? Verse 4, Jesus replied, you followers of, of John the Baptist, go back and report to John what you, have, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So Jesus was speaking to John the Baptist here through his followers. Don't worry. Don't fall away because I'm not doing what you anticipated that I would do. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? You know, when you went to John the Baptist to be baptized, what were you expecting? What kind of man did you think you were going to find? A reed swayed by the wind? No, John the Baptist wasn't a reed swayed by the wind. He wasn't weak. He spoke boldly. He gave his entire life to carry out the commission God gave him to do, even if it meant his imprisonment and ultimate martyrdom. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a prophet, if you will, maybe the last of the prophets of the Old Testament. And what made him the greatest? Well, he lived to see the coming of the Messiah, the one that so many of the Old Testament prophets prophesied about. So this, John was in that transition period from Old Testament to New. So that's why John was the greatest of the prophets. Yet, Jesus says, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's us. Why are we greater than John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was the greatest of the prophets because he was around to see the one who fulfilled the prophecies, the Messiah. He saw him with his own eyes and baptized him and prepared the way for him. But why are we greater than John the Baptist? Because we, through the Holy Spirit, now have Jesus Christ the Messiah dwelling in us. John the Baptist didn't experience that. We do. That's why he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven, in the body of Christ, if you will, is greater than he. So John was a great man. He fulfilled everything that God had asked of him. But that transition point is very important. The coming of Jesus, the giving of the Holy Spirit, that's like night and day. So, humbly, we accept that privilege from God. We who are 
the least in the kingdom of God, are greater than John the Baptist. And that's not something that we take pride in, but that's the way Jesus explains it to be. Verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept that he is the Elijah who is to come, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we, through the Holy Spirit, have ears to hear. We can appreciate the tremendous commission that John the Baptist fulfilled. It was necessary for him to be there, and he was called to do a job, and he did it to the best of his ability. And the same message holds true. Repent and be baptized. But now we also have the added blessing of receiving the Holy Spirit, which makes all the difference in the world. In fact, it gives us the ability to understand what John's commission was all about. So we thank God for this brave man that he called, who worked until death. And don't forget, he was a very young man when he died. Early 30s, perhaps, just like Jesus at the time of his uh, crucifixion. Very young man. But he was a God-led man and uh, very necessary for Jesus Christ, the Messiah's arrival on earth. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful story. What can we learn from the story of John the Baptist? A man who was called, as we have been. A man who preached, as we had the opportunity to do from time to time. A man who called people to repent, to believe, to be baptized, just as we have been called to do. So, Lord, we thank you for this man that you called and the things that we can learn from his life and his experience. And thank you, too, that because of Jesus Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit, that we are regarded so high in your mind. Uh, We're humbled by it. We know we don't deserve it, and it's all due to your grace. But we thank you for it, Lord. And we we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.